Page. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And today we're going to be talking about all the things you see and don't see when you look at singers online, more commonly known as the singer's iceberg. Essentially what this is, is the highly visible parts of a singer's life versus the parts that we don't really necessarily talk about or publicize nearly as much and how that affects people's view of what singers do and what singers' lives are really like. Yes, so much goes on behind the scenes. It might seem like being an opera singer or a singer in general is very glamorous, but it's a lot of hard work and there are a lot of unglamorous parts to it that are necessary to cultivate your skill. Exactly. Now, on the top part of this iceberg, on the things that are super duper visible to a lot of people are a lot of things that signify success. For example, people doing shows in really prominent opera houses, the Met or the Marilla Summer Program, or winning the Houston Grand Opera Competition or anything that's really big and obvious. Obviously, when people uh, achieve success, they're going to talk about it. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there is this reality that we don't post when we didn't win a competition or when we, we completely forgot a phrase. I've never not known when friends or people in my life are doing big shows at opera houses. Not, once again, in a bad way. We want to cheer on our friends, but it, it can be a little overwhelming. Yeah, I think sometimes when people, like when you tell people that you're an opera singer and they're like, oh, like the Met? And I'm like, ha, like maybe one day, I hope, <laughs> but like, not really. <laughs> uh, there's like really, there's, there's a very small percentage of us that are, are performing at the Met and places like La Scala and all of these amazing, you know, opera houses around the world. It can even just be super awkward if you don't necessarily have anything lined up for the season yet. Yeah, and then like another th- that you always see these like really, really A-list opera singers or singers in general, they usually have a really big following on social media, which is awesome. But I think sometimes we also base singers' skill and importance off of their following, and that's not always a good judge. But definitely I think a lot of people will kind of get self-conscious about their social media presence versus somebody professional. And it's also really important to remember that these huge opera singers most of the time they don't run their own accounts or their own publicity or anything online. They often have assistants or PR people or social media experts that take care of that stuff. Obviously, it's not all of them. Of course, they post. And some opera singers are really personal and are pretty much in charge of their social media accounts. Like one of those other things that people think come with being really talented is like this giant social media following. The person I think who does a great job of being intensely personal while still having just kind of an overwhelming following is probably Stephanie Blythe. She posts great content. Her little ukulele videos. They're so So cute. wholesome. I know. And then you hear her sing and you're like, um? <laughs> um? What? <laughs> If anything in the world should be obvious to us, it's that fame on social media in no way qualifies people's value. Though we often use it that way and it often plays out that way, you should in no way think that just because somebody's got a huge social media following that they are necessarily the best at what they do. Because social media is a skill set entirely its own. Now, that's not to say that they're bad either, but the point being that social media is its own skill set and sometimes... They aren't even running it themselves because there are a lot of people who work really hard to make social media work. Michelle works as a social media manager. It's a whole job. Mm -hmm. So you shouldn't necessarily take people's social media, A, as the reality of their life, or B, as something to compare with each other on. 
get good ideas for how to interact with people you don't know. You know, that's a great thing to learn from good social media accounts. But, you know, don't take any of it to heart. You know who else has a funny social media presence is Joyce. Joyce DiDonato. Oh, that's true. She, like, her stuff is always very, like, uplifting and wholesome, especially when, like, times are tough. But also, (laughs) I love her. Sometimes she posts these pictures with these crazy, like, circa 2014 filters on it. It really gets me. I really enjoy them. They're just very pure. (laughs) Joyce is always killing it. Well, because you know that she's posting them herself. Oh, yes. And so, like, something about her style of posting is just super cute to me. We love you, Joyce. (laughs) In line with all of the social media, it's the costumes, the expensive gowns or suits or anything that's like a show of wealth. When people have made it, especially in the music world where it takes a very long time to make a living wage out of what we do. That's definitely something also you'll see a lot, even if you aren't necessarily successful. Yeah, you see all of these like A-list stars wearing these insane gowns. Or these, like, guys in these, like, perfectly fitted suits. That super chic look is definitely attributed to top stars. I mean, I guess that's kind of the fun part about being an opera singer is, like, if I was a pop singer, I probably wouldn't be wearing a gown unless I was performing at the Grammys or something. Exactly. But I think the big downside to this is there is rampant consumerism in that idea that I didn't wear the same gown even though I loved it for my senior recital and my grad recital. I got a whole new gown. And I will rewear some of them, but it just, it's bad to be buying that much when we don't really need it. It's bad that we don't share dresses and things more often. And I always kind of wanted to start a closet that people could borrow from because I know a lot of people can't necessarily buy the dresses that are technically speaking appropriate for what we do. This weird cost of entry for nice dresses and stuff to perform in and audition in, it it is kind of a problem. Yes, it definitely is a problem. But I will say that something like that actually exists on Facebook. Shout out the name. I'm I'm pretty sure that it's shopperatic. People will sell their gowns for super cheap or even rent it to people. And they also give styling advice. So I've seen a lot of people who will post a picture of them in like a gown they want to buy or mezzo's posing in like a tux or a jumpsuit and they'll be like do we think that this is audition appropriate and the forum is huge so people will give their opinion and it has a very good vibe to it and from what I've seen they seem to be very body positive so you get very honest reviews and most time people are like that looks like you feel super confident in it just go for it it's shopperatic and it's a really cool group that's a great resource for what you were you were talking about Don't let anyone make you feel bad about what you wear for these things. Try to wear something that obviously fits what you're doing, but don't stress out if you cannot afford expensive clothing right now. It's a weird thing in our industry. You can find a lot of really nice stuff, even at Goodwill. I've had dresses altered from Goodwill that I've worn for events. Oh, I have the most beautiful purple velvet vintage dress that is like literally the most luxe opera thing you've ever seen. And I got it for $8 at Goodwill. So don't ever feel pressured to buy expensive things. Like, that is not where your money needs to be going right now, especially if you're a student. Yeah, another glamorous thing that is always associated with, like, the top is being able to travel around the world. Obviously, as singers, you know, when we go on tour or we have different touring recitals or operas and we're singing and bouncing around, I think there's this kind of, like, idea that I'm sure the top singers do just get invited everywhere that's like where they're at in their career but it's also so expensive like that's not real life 
Most of the time, we're paying out of pocket to go travel to these places. And we might be under contract and being paid by young artist programs or opera houses. But that idea that everybody's just traveling the world isn't true for the majority of us. Well, you don't know how many of those people are still paying out of pocket for travel and housing. Because some people cover it and some people do not. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And as, as great as it is, because... Michelle and I have both gotten the opportunity to travel quite a bit through our undergrad university through Pepperdine, but we were very lucky in that aspect. Pepperdine just happens to have like a huge network of satellite campuses. Ayo waves. It's okay if you don't end up studying in Germany or Austria or Italy or any of these places. As long as you are working and improving, you don't really have to worry about (laughs) saying... They're not going to make you send in a map with your resume. Oh, also, let me just say... That so many of those abroad summer programs that like really target American singers are so such a waste of money. Like those diction courses. Yeah, it's like when they're like asking you to pay like $9,000 for like a four week language intensive. And I'm like, excuse me? They're basically paid vacations yeah. for those people. Oh, absolutely. Not for the students, but for the teachers. At that point, it's like you just, you want to say, you know, I, I spent this summer abroad doing a scenes program. And I'm like, what? <laughs> no matter how crazy or great your time abroad was, no one wants to hear about it. I promise. <laughs> Can you imagine if you were to pay like $7,000 to do one of those crazy abroad, like four week language intensives? You could probably do like way more than a year of like having a private tutor and just like it doesn't make any sense to me but whatever I mean not not all of those abroad programs obviously are bad there are a lot of reputable ones but you can definitely tell when one is fishy also just go for gold on those scholarships like if they ask you to put in a certain amount like that you'll accept for a scholarship don't short yourself on what you ask for a scholarship from those places yeah along the lines of like super successful stuff There's awards and interviews and especially for very, very established singers, some are starting foundations that help singers and it can just seem like all of that is just so distant from you. I think the worst one for me is always watching like awards, especially because I feel like I always forget that there are competitions. I think that falls in line with watching people announce their seasons and everything. It's just that fear, almost a fear of missing out. Yeah. And I think about the thing about interviews, I was just reading about this the other day. Essentially, it's a bias that you get when you become successful, which is that you look back on what you did and you assume everyone else can do it. Hmm. It's not saying that you didn't work very hard, but it's ignoring other factors that play into becoming successful, which is having connections, being in the right place at the right time, <laughs> meeting the right people, having the right voice for whatever it is that they needed, or, you know, all of these factors that you're not necessarily in control. And when people become successful, they tend to cut those out of their inner narrative. And they're just like, well, I just spent, you know, all my time working and I did nothing but push forward and that's why I'm successful. Like I said, it's not to say that people don't work hard, but when people are successful, they tend to cut out the parts of their stories that include things that weren't handed to them, but happened because they of luck, essentially. Opportunity struck and they were ready to take it. Um, and so I think that's the hard thing about watching interviews, is I think sometimes there's the implication, well, they're saying all it takes is hard work, so I must just not be working hard enough. And that can be very hurtful. <laughs> yeah. Another thing is, like, I think sometimes when you tell people you're a singer they assume that you have like this huge resume and that you're if you're successful then you're always in demand 
And that's not really true. For some people, yeah. But all amazing singers have seasons of not necessarily being in demand or having some slow seasons. And I don't think that you should be really looking at your resume too critically, especially if you're a young singer, because obviously you're working on building that. Yeah, that was always a big thing for me when I was writing my resume. Like, I kept feeling like I had to fill it out in different ways that didn't necessarily feel good because I just didn't have the longest resume. I got into music a little later. And it can feel very awkward, but trust me when I say you probably, A, have plenty to fill out your resume with. Don't worry about it. But second of all, your resume doesn't really matter uh, in the sense that if you are doing a good job, they're not really going to look at it that much. They're only going to use it at the very end of it all to decide between a couple people. Don't stress about not having an eight-page resume because nobody wants to read that anyway. Keep it short. Yeah. I think another thing that's like really glamorous about being a singer is when you see people post all of these really cool like production shots when like their Instagram or their like professional website or whatever is filled with these pictures from different summer programs or different like, operas that they've been in or like pictures of them in concert or in recital. It always just seems so cool. And that's like another trap of social media, obviously, as well. The privilege of having all of these like production photos. Oh, yeah. Well, it does because there's something about seeing professional production photos that really is like truly glamorous. You know, you're in the middle of a big show. Mm hmm. I will say this, I do find it very funny to like show my, my shots from La Boheme when I was playing Musetta versus my production, shot, my production shots from uh, Magic Flute where I was the second spirit and I was fully painted white with a bald cap. Not so glamorous. I'm, but, I'm sorry, are you saying um, that you weren't glamorous? <laughs> it was a different kind of glamour. There More like uh, androgynous space glamour. But, Alien or, chic. Or some, it was kind of a horror movie glamour. Anyway. Nice. <laughs> but, but it's true, there is this thing. But if you had actually asked me about my time in some of those shows, like some of them were very stressful. You know, as, like, as fun it, as it is to get on stage and do the thing. You know, there's a whole nother world on the other side of it, which is the next side of this whole iceberg. The part that we don't talk about that doesn't really show up on Instagram or Facebook or when we tell our story in interviews, the things that we don't always talk about. And the number one is rejection. Just unbelievable amounts of rejection. Yeah, honestly, when I was making this, the graphic that accompanies this podcast, which you can link down in the description... Oh my gosh, I almost felt like the entire bottom half of the iceberg could have just been rejection. Nobody ever shares that. I, I do really appreciate this this move in social media lately to become more authentic and honest and show those sides that are not so glamorous on Instagram. I really appreciate when people do that. But yeah, for every acceptance or role that we get, we have 10 easily rejections that we're not sharing with other people you know so rejection is literally part of the game not only that we get our rejections super randomly sometimes we'll get told about the results of an audition a couple weeks out sometimes it's months and they just don't even tell us when they might let us know whether we got it or not so sometimes i've forgotten about something and i just get a random email and i'm like well <laughs> guess i didn't get it also, if you run a summer program, please have the decency to email your nose. Like, 
please email the people you aren't accepting. Like that's, it's, it blows my mind that people don't do that because then we're all just confused. Yeah. I mean, I would much rather receive an automated message that's just like, hi, you didn't get it. Then like see everybody else post their stuff online and just be like, well, I guess I didn't get an email. It's pretty shady. It literally takes two seconds to send an automated email. Along with that idea that like we're always just kind of waiting around, patience. Just all the patience in the world for everything. Patience waiting to, until we can actually sing certain songs. Michelle, for example, waited years before a teacher would let her sing the silver aria. I cry every time when I think about the genuine years that I waited <laughs> before I was approved to learn it. repeatedly asked teachers if she could sing that but it's a really big aria it it takes time for you to be able to sing it right and you don't want to build bad technique in it but the reality is is being young singers there are really only so many roles you can sing without risking vocal damage if you're singing them so constantly and especially for larger voices that can be very difficult because there can be a weird time period where your voice doesn't fit these smaller voiced roles but you're not physically capable of necessarily doing the bigger roles that you're actually suited to. And that sucks. <laughs> I know a lot of big voice sopranos who have also been relegated to singing mezzo stuff in the meantime, which is also kind of a wild trip. Yeah, this aspect of patience of like waiting until roles are age appropriate, that has to be my biggest qualm with classical music being like a, a baby lyric. It's just frustrating, but it's part of the game. It's part of maturation. But you know what? Gosh, Nadine Sierra just posted on Instagram, and I'm completely blanking but on what aria she was singing, but she sang an aria at a gala or something, a fundraiser, and she literally admitted in her caption, yeah, you know, I'm not, like, my voice isn't ready to be singing this role yet, but, you know singing this aria for like a fundraiser we'll have some fun and that honestly brought me a lot of peace of mind she literally sings around the world and is young and sings at the met and there are roles that she can't sing yet and that just like made me feel a lot better about being a young singer knowing what's appropriate for you is a really good thing because there are times where people will try to shoehorn you into something and they will give you something you're not necessarily ready for And you might have to say no. (laughs) I mean, that's just the reality of it is there are things that are bad for you to be singing right now as a young singer. And it's okay to say no. I don't think I'm ready for that. Much better than risking the vocal damage. And while we're in these weird periods where we're waiting for roles, we're often reworking our technique because voices change. Like that's just the really crazy thing is one day you'll have something and the next day you'll wake up with almost a crazy new voice like I can't tell you how many periods where a couple months apart my voice has changed so entirely where my tessitura is what my top notes and bottom notes are my breathing there are weird things that just change because our body is our instrument and therefore it changes with us yeah I feel like for me personally my body like resets like clockwork (laughs) almost predictably once a year my voice like gets bigger and heavier I constantly feel like I'm having to rework my technique of like not over darkening the bottom and like blasting the high and I'm in a period of reworking my technique now I went through such a giant shift over the summer and into the fall that 
I literally had a meeting with my voice teacher and was like, mezzo? Question mark? Like, am I just a totally new voice? And we decided I, I'm not or we're not going to train that way. But it's just like it's nobody ever talks about it, but we're all constantly reworking our technique. And I feel like sometimes people get really defensive about stuff like that or like really feel uncomfortable sharing stuff like that. But we're all doing it like there's no shame. Your voice is going to change. You literally age every year. You Your body changes every day. So... In the meantime, of all that, we're often doing, like I said, we're doing roles that necessarily may not be ideal for us, or we're doing a lot of chorus work and cover roles, or what I would typically describe as like paying dues. And that's a lot of early time in school, which is good. You will gain a lot of experience watching other people do things and covering roles. There is nothing bad about that, but it can feel disheartening when you're in it for a long time. But you are gaining experience and is never a bad thing. Like, don't be disheartened when you get covers and things like that. They can be really, really great ways to work your way up. Nobody brags necessarily about getting a cover. I did the first time I got one. I actually contacted all of my old voice teachers the first time I ever got a cover. But some people are very disheartened by that kind of thing. But you shouldn't be. It means that a director trusts you. Yeah, honestly, being a a cover is a huge honor. Because they're trusting you to like basically not get any rehearsal time or very little rehearsal time, but also be able to step in should the need arise. I think they actually trust their covers like so much. It is a very important role. And then, of course, something else that we don't always talk about because this is very personal to how everybody functions is time management. So it's really pretty much impossible to have any sort of success in anything, but especially music, if you don't have good time management skills, setting daily goals for yourself, making sure you have a steady practice routine, and really having the discipline to find something that works for you and keep at it. As we've kind of discussed, so much of being a singer involves you just being patient while you're waiting for your voice to mature or be able to sing the rep that you will be casted for you have to have good time management skills to be productive while we're kind of in that period of waiting and you know i don't know exactly where when we're gonna release this up but as of right now a lot of schools have closed down because of coronavirus and so a lot of students who had plans and teachers and lessons and shows now do not and that is a rough transition to be making, especially when you had access to facilities that you no longer have access to. And once you're kind of on your own, whether it be because of something unexpected like this or because you're out of school or because you're on summer break, having set goals and things moving you forward is so, so important because it is very easy to just go to work or just do other things instead of working on music every day. It's not easy to stay focused, which is why that routine is so important, because when routine kicks in, it keeps you going on the days that you don't really feel like doing it because you're so used to it that you feel wrong not doing it. Routine is the best thing you can do for yourself. I have ADHD, so I thrive on routine. It's the only thing that really (laughs) keeps my day steady and the only thing that really helps me stay consistent with my work. But all of that takes a ton of determination to keep going steadily at and to keep improving, and to change your routine when needed. And it can be really difficult to motivate yourself. I think for me, I've always motivated myself by going and watching operas that I love, and singers that I love singing things that I love to sing, because I think it inspires me to go and do that 
it makes me happy and it reminds me of why I love what I do. So I think if you are having a little trouble getting into your routine or doing anything, go watch your favorite singers and let them remind you of why you want to do this. That's such good advice. I also feel like whenever I have a moment or like a a dry season per se, either watching like the Met HD broadcasts or actually going and seeing live music, which is a better option, just seeing and being surrounded by music really does just hype me up. Nothing's better than when you watch a Met broadcast and you're just kind of like, oh, I don't feel like practicing or like, oh, I just feel like I'm not really, I'm plateauing. I'm not really getting anywhere. or I don't have any contracts lined up. And then I'll see like some amazing singer hit some like pianississimo high note. And I'm just like, all right, I'm ready to practice so I can do that. <laughs> I could watch Deanna Damrau sing anything and be inspired. Yeah. So watch some great singers. They really hype me up. Something that my boyfriend and I do a lot is we'll go to these like old record shops and just look around there's one in boston i can't remember the name of the record shop but it's on com ave and they just have the best selection of all these amazing old vinyls that have these amazing stars with these like amazing orchestras and conductors conducting and we'll just like go and get a couple and then go back home and then listen to them and we nerd out so hard and it's just it's just so good like, we'll, we'll put it on the background and be making dinner, and then Beverly Sills or somebody will be hitting a high note, and we'll just, like, stop and freeze and be like, oh, Beverly, how? But honestly, that's, like, such a motivating thing. Uh, that's honestly, if you want to be motivated, if you're a soprano, but, like, I don't even care what voice type you are, go listen to some Beverly Sills, because I'm telling you, nothing gets me hype like Bev. Another layer of this iceberg is just years and years and years of training and schooling and all the money that we spend on training and schooling. I don't know if I, I have never actually broken down the expense of all of the training I've done as a singer and honestly I probably won't. I don't want to. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah I don't want to know the cost of the programs. I will at some point break down the cost of my auditions for the year for the point of another project for this podcast, but the expense that goes into being a singer is crazy. There's a crazy, crazy upfront cost to doing this job. And people don't usually understand that. When we think of popular musicians, we think of people who like start a band in their garage. In the case of our generation, people who are discovered at age 12. But we don't, when it comes to classical singers, necessarily think about what it takes to get two degrees and then on top of those degrees do training outside of that and then to pay for voice lessons to get into music school and after school to be doing auditions, paying for those auditions, paying to get to those auditions. It's expensive. It's expensive to do this job. I'm not even sure if you actually measured out with some of the singers. You know, I'd be curious to know how many of the singers that we see every day, how long it took them for their income to outweigh the money they spent on school. The cost to be an opera singer especially is insane. I mean, that's that's one of the really hard things about our industry is there are so many people who are unable to do what they want to do because of that cost, which is just wrong and very unfortunate. But I think that there is definitely a sense of privilege when you're an opera singer, because to even be able to think about affording the schooling and everything is is it's just so much money. 
I mean, like I said, it's just something you never really talk about. It's not considered good to talk about money. Um, but it's important to recognize that even the people you love paid a lot of money to get to where they were. It's an unfortunate reality. And, you know, as we come into our own in this industry, it is something to think about when you look at people who are still climbing up, that if you have the ability to help those people do, you know, if you ever end up on the board of an organization, maybe think about waiving YAP fees for applications. (laughs) It's something to think about because, like I said, there is that success bias when you do eventually make it that you don't necessarily consider all the little things that made it harder to get there that were not important. Yeah, and kind of like how you touched on earlier, a huge part of becoming successful is being good at networking, which is not something everybody is naturally good at doing. Investing in networking skills, being really good at building relationships with your directors and conductors and castmates is really important, and it's not like there are a lot of guides on how you should network as a musician. I mean, I'm sure there are, but... It's not necessarily something that's taught in school. Yeah, once again, it's just a skill set. And unfortunately, we don't get to practice it a lot. And it can be really hard, especially with something as personal as music is, to sit there and feel comfortable in front of people basically saying, like, yeah, I'm really good at what I do. Because that's kind of what part of what networking is, is like letting people see you and talking about your job in such a way that people are confident that you can do what they, they need. Not only that, like, Some schools aren't necessarily even good about making networking opportunities, or we're not so good at asking people for networking opportunities. A lot of your teachers and professors are in some way connected with programs outside of your school, so you should definitely ask about them, because some teachers just don't proactively necessarily think about putting up their students for some of them. Yeah, networking is hard, and it's not something that's necessarily taught, and it really should be. Because it's necessary, but it's also very awkward. It's so awkward. Yeah, but don't feel bad about it. Like, don't feel bad about talking to others about what you do and giving out your business card. And because once again, really, the worst case scenario is they just aren't interested. And the best case scenario is you have a new connection. So put yourself out there more and do talk to those people and like hand out your business card, even if you're not sure it will lead to something. Look into networking. You know, there are people who have better advice about it than I do. But don't even be afraid to, like, do a cold reach out to some groups I've been meaning to and will probably not do it too soon because of extenuating circumstances in the world. But I've been meaning to reach out to a Baroque ensemble because I know they have, like, a bass baritone voice. And I was going to say, I don't know if you ever need a soprano, but I do like Baroque music and I would love to work with you guys. So don't feel afraid to just reach out to people and see about opportunities. Beyond that, another thing we never really talk about, and that goes unmentioned even sometimes in school, though I think they are getting better about it, is therapy and managing mental health. Mental health for singers is a very tricky thing. There is actually a specialized field of therapy for competitive athletes, and I'm sure there is probably some specialization around singers and people who do music, but the reality is is that it's kind of similar in the aspect that you're dealing with somebody who works under really high pressure and somebody who is constantly competing and even for people who have like very hardy (laughs) i'll say hardy constitutions anyone can be broken down by this industry because it is just like i said constant rejection and waiting and not being sure if you're good enough 
And then, you know, having to wait years and years and years to do certain things. Meanwhile, a lot of the people, a lot of your support system may not understand what it's like to be a musician. And therefore, they're constantly asking you, like, is it going well? Are you still doing music? Are you going to get a different job? It can be very difficult to maintain yourself um, mentally as a musician. We're all fragile. <laughs> fragile, <laughs> fragile people. We need help. Yeah. But that's okay. Everybody needs help. Well, also, nobody's asking nobody's asking athletes to be vulnerable. We gotta get on a stage <laughs> and, like, try and dig into ourselves to, to expose an emotion. Literally bare our souls. Yeah, but we've gotta open up parts of ourselves and, like, put them on display only to sometimes fall on our face. And that's really difficult. Yeah. Also, keeping track of your health physically and making sure that you're healthy in all physical aspects i know there are a lot of like opera singers that are yogis and what have you that are like really promoting physical exercise which is really cool but you know your body is your instrument so and is your greatest tool but not even just something as outwardly as as physical exercise but really making sure that you're eating well and sleeping well and practicing good habits you know we don't always talk about those because if you don't have a good habit in one of those areas obviously you don't want to be judged for them just making sure that you're a healthy individual overall yeah of course another thing that nobody really talks about is the fact that as a singer you're gonna miss out on a lot of stuff you're gonna miss out on a lot of holidays because those are really heavy work days for us. They're big working seasons, especially when you're a singer just starting out. You know, we all do we all do some messiahs. <laughs> but yeah, holidays are such a big working season and you're gonna miss a lot of family events and birthdays and things like that because you're in a show or you're on the other side of the country. And it's gonna be really hard to feel like you're not able to live as stable a life as some of the people around you. Yeah, definitely the effects of being a musician on like family life and relationships and friendships is, is difficult. I feel like dating as a musician is really hard too because like I feel like there's people never want to date like another musician but then like at the same time so many of us do. Being with somebody whether they're a musician or not that really understands what it means for you to be traveling and under a lot of stress and constantly training and competing it's not always easy to find a partner that really gets it and supports it and supports you the way that you need to be supported not everybody comes from a family where their family really values music and what they're doing so that is tough for a lot of people and obviously nobody wants to talk about when their family is unsupported of their job you know that's definitely something that we don't talk about being a musician you miss out on so much of that kind of stuff that people in other work fields don't even think that you could miss out on that stuff, you know? Yeah. If you eventually are thinking about starting a family, like that's so difficult as a working musician to even consider. And the best advice I have to offer if you're, we're talking specifically about romantic relationships is to always be upfront with the other person about what your life is like. Don't try to hide the fact that you may be across the country some months. Don't try to hide the fact that you're not just gonna stop doing music in a year if it doesn't work out because this is a multi-year thing, getting a career going. It can be very difficult to get across to people, but try and be as clear uh, as possible and don't sugarcoat the reality of what doing our work entails. I'm not saying you're never gonna find somebody if you're a musician. I'm just saying you'll make your life a whole lot easier if you're very straightforward about it. 
And as far as holidays and birthdays and family time go, try and see if people reschedule. My family's always been really good. We've moved around holidays for a lot of things. It's it's not the end of the world, but there will just be this feeling that you're missing out when other people have these things that you can't have right now. Yeah, Christmas is definitely like the hardest time for us musicians who are doing a bunch of church work. Yeah, it just gets really, really crazy for us around like the big holidays or big church holidays, especially. Exactly. And beyond just like that instability, we're also missing out on serious job stability. I mean, we are contract workers by the nature of our work. We have very fruitful years and then we have really difficult years. We have years where we get a lot of stuff and then we have years where we get sick and we can't sing and we have to cancel things. When the people you grew up with or some of your friends are in regular, I won't say regular, but are in more normal career fields where they're advancing and they're getting you know, better benefits. And meanwhile, you're jumping from contract to contract without them necessarily getting better right now. That can be really, really hard. For some people, it's fine, but some people, it, it really wrecks them to not have that sense that things are steadily improving by a measured marker. Oh, yeah. And I mean, not having that sort of job stability also really informs, like we were talking about earlier, you know, if you want to have a family, if you want to own a house, if you want to settle down in one location, so much of that is unstable because of the general lack in job stability. You just never know what you're going to get. You never know how much you're going to get. It's not like we get paid a standard amount for every gig that we take on. Yeah, it's it's just really hard to to navigate because seasons are always different. None of this is meant to dishearten you or to push you away from doing music if it's what you love. What it is is to be honest and to be open about the good and the bad and the very visible and the less visible sides of what we do. Because another thing that I would throw under the unseen side of things, but one of the really wonderful things that happens out of doing music and, you know, all of this crazy is you build super strong bonds with the people you meet in the music industry because you're all going through it together. And you meet new people all the time because you're always working these different things. Like, there are good things on the underside of this iceberg, but we just wanted to take a light and shine it into the things that we don't talk about that play into the more glamorous side of opera and of classical music as a whole because it's easy to feel like you're the only person having to do all this other stuff and it just comes so naturally to everyone else and it doesn't. We are all, <laughs> you know, there's the, I believe somebody said, be like a duck where it's moving smoothly over the water but kicking like hell underneath and that really is the life of a singer, <laughs> is going out there and making it all look easy. But we owe it to each other yeah. to admit that it's not always easy. Yeah, a huge part of like our opera offstage community and what we try to promote is that you can be honest about these things. It definitely only does a disservice to us to try and pretend that these things don't exist because then you're hiding away so much from the world and we all know what's going on, really, if you're a musician. So um, I think being honest about the things that we go through that are unglamorous allows us to come together as a community and better support one another, you know, because we're all going through it. Exactly. And all of this stuff is honestly, I mean, obviously the job stability and a lot of the sacrifice is maybe not the most positive, but a lot of these things are really wonderful things. I mean, 
think about how much more of a patient person you have to be to go through all of this stuff. You know, look at how good your time management skills are compared to some other people. Think about how determined and motivated you are, how perseverant you are to do all of this. It really makes you into a very holistic, well-trained person in society. You know, the trials that we have to undergo for this career that may not be glamorous really do make us wonderful people who are excelling in their career. Well, and I'm just going to throw a little thing in here, which is to say that probably one of the worst periods in my life was I was taking a break from music right after I finished grad school and I was starting a new job and everything. And I was I was good at my job and my job was fine, but I wasn't really being challenged by it. And so I was just kind of floating through the days. And there was there's really nothing worse to me than not feeling like I'm growing as a person and I'm not being challenged because it just puts kind of life into a haze. So don't feel bad about all the challenges you're slugging through because I promise you they are to some degree what makes what makes life worth living is growing as a person and pushing yourself and pushing yourself to do things you've never done before. That is part of what makes our whole time on earth worthwhile. That got a little more dramatic than I meant, but No, no, it's so true because when you have people, I I mean, I think people who are not in music, who are looking to be in music or just fantasize about being in music will often say like, oh, you know, I really want to go into music because I want to be really famous and I want all these fans on Instagram and I want to get this money and just like all of the attention involved is really appealing. And then for us who are actually in it, we're like, wait, what? That's honestly the worst reason to go into music like that is nothing I mean yes that stuff is cool but if your heart isn't in actually creating the art then it's it's not for you you know so much goes into it absolutely if you're only looking for the glamorous side of it you will never make it through that slog and that slog is a really wonderful thing because when you have a breakthrough when you make a new networking connection that pans out, when you manage to find some balance in your life and everything, like those are really wonderful, amazing moments that not everyone gets to experience. Oh yeah, and you can always feel so good about knowing all of the hard work that you put in, you know, the hours of training, the amount of money that you spent on voice lessons to finally get your voice to where it needs to be to get that next big opportunity that launches you to the next level. like. There's just so many wonderful things um, about really working your way through it. And it might be cheesy, but nothing good comes easy. And I think approaching music for only the glamorous reasons, you're not going to get anywhere because it's so much more difficult than that. But that the parts that are difficult really shape us into to who we are and the art that we create. Exactly. I think that that really sums it up. Yeah. Don't you just love being a musician? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Amazing. Oh. (laughs) Wow. Let's list off 20 depressing things. They're not depressing. They're character building, Jesse. That's what our whole little motivational speech was about. Goodness gracious. (laughs) Did you just miss anything that I just said? Uh, Or did you hear anything I just said? (laughs) (laughs) 
Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. This has been Opera Offstage. Um, you guys can follow along on our Instagram, our Facebook, our Twitter at Opera Offstage. We also post a lot of fun content on our website, so you can visit us at opera-offstage.com. But before you go, please like and subscribe, leave us a review, give us some five stars. We would really appreciate it. But definitely check out our socials. We're there to engage with you guys and um, talk openly and honestly about being a musician. And we want to hear your opinion and your stories. So definitely follow along. But until next time.